Okay, Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Steve. I'm the Assistant Minister here, and I have the wonderful privilege of opening uh, this passage for us this morning. Uh, but before I dive in, if you have your Bibles in front of you, I just want to draw your attention to something in the text that will help you get your bearings this morning. Uh, as Paul can sometimes use words and sentences that are long and kind of all fall together, you'll notice at the end of verse 12, in probably all of your Bibles, you have this long dash and that's the editor's way of saying they think that Paul is having a break in thought here and he's going to expand on something that he's just said. And this thought bubble goes from verse 13 to verse 17 and he only comes back to the idea at verse 18. So to put it simply, so you know where we're going in the passage and how it all fits together, verses 13 to 18 are like a giant set of brackets and that's him expanding on something he said in verse 12. So with that said, how about I pray and we'll dive into this. Father God, speak to us this morning. Help us hear you speak to us through your word, and please let it change our lives. This we pray for your glory alone, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, whether you like it or not, uh, other people's actions impact on us. Uh, this especially hits home when we have people that represent us, uh, either in sports or in a country. Uh, like, for example, the Australian cricket team. Uh, tampering with a ball back in 2018 in the famous Sandpaper Gate. I didn't hear the end of that at QTC as there were quite a few fans of cricket there. These people and their actions, 
they made us look like a whole bunch of cheats, a whole bunch of liars who will do anything to grasp at the trophy. Their actions, it gave you and I a bad reputation, at least among those who care about cricket. You see, we're familiar uh, that our actions impact on others. And while uh, representative cricket might be a trivial example of this, in today's passage, the Apostle highlights a far more serious case of a person's actions impacting on another. If you look at me with me at verse 12, we read this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people. Paul's saying that we all live under the consequences of Adam's sin. Adam's failure to do what God told him to do, it affects both you and I. Adam's failure to take responsibility and say no to Eve when she urged him to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil means that you and I, to this day, live out the consequences of his choice. Adam's sin means that when you and I were born, we were born into a world that is subject to the wrath of God, as we read from Romans 1.18 onwards. Adam's sin, it led to God judging the world. And in today's passage specifically, death is part of that judgment. It's part of our existence because of Adam's sin. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people. All of human history, it all changed when Adam fumbled. Whether we like it or not, others' actions impact on us. Now, for me, I didn't get to pick the spelling of my name. Uh, Thankfully, though, my parents spelt the name with a PH in the middle, so they got that part right. Uh, My parents, though, they chose to live in Brisbane, which impacted my education and shaped many, many areas of my life. Our actions impact on others, and it's just a fact of life. Now, today's passage, the really remarkable thing is that Paul says that Adam is the case in point when it comes to this. His sin means that we are all sinners. Now, there's a little bit more to verse 12 uh, that I've been stopping short of. I'll pop it up on the screen here. Uh, Verse 12 in its entirety says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Like it or not, Paul is saying that we have sinned in and with Adam, and now we continue to follow in his steps. We have inherited his trait of suppressing the truth about God and choosing our own way. And by doing so, we show that we are indeed just like Adam. Now, just as Adam's actions led to sin and death, there is another man uh, on the cards for this morning, another man on the ballot, and his name is Jesus. And this man, well, he also represents a whole bunch of people But in this case, he represents a new race of people, a race of believers. And his actions, well, they also impacted on many. He's kind of like Adam in that sense. Only this time, his actions led to eternal life rather than death, and his actions led to righteousness rather than condemnation. 
In fact, Jesus' actions, they do more than just fix the problems which Adam brought into the world. And this is kind of the main point. The benefits of having Jesus as our representative, they far outweigh and more than undo the disadvantages that our original representative, Adam, brought into the world. And that's a key thing to hold in your minds. So with that said, keep your Bibles open. Uh, We're going to take a deeper look, first of all, uh, into this first representative of ours, Adam. Now, if you did hear the text read, you'd know that Adam, uh, to put it lightly, he put us all in a bit of a predicament. Uh, You'll notice at the beginning of today's passage, uh, as with a lot of parts of Romans and other parts of Paul's letters, he begins with the word, therefore. And when he says this, he's pointing us back to something else that he's said. And in this particular case, I think Paul's pointing us all the way back to the beginning of Romans. He wants to point out how we got into this predicament of being under sin and under death, which is bringing about God's righteous judgment on us. But he does this not only by taking us back to the beginning of Romans, but he directs our attention all the way back to the beginning of the Bible itself, back to the Garden of Eden. Paul goes all the way back to the scene of the original crime, drawing a link between Adam's sin in the garden and death coming on to all people in 5.12. So if we flick back to Genesis 2, uh, you don't have to do this, I'll pop it up on the screen. Uh, We see God in this story. He places Adam in the garden. Uh, He gives Adam a tour of the place. Uh, He shows him where perhaps to find the best coffee beans, presumably the ones that 7-Eleven use in their blend. And he gives Adam one command. He says, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden. He's going, it's all yours, Adam. Everything here is yours. But you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. when When you eat from it you will certainly die. Now here in Romans 5.12, it's Adam's disobedience to this command which becomes the reason death entered the world for all people. You see, God, he wasn't messing around when he gave us this command. He followed through on his promise back in Genesis. And Adam, when he sinned, he lost connection with the source of all life and eventually he died. Now, if you've ever wondered just how widespread the results of this one action are, all you need to do is look at the death rate of people in the world, which last time I checked sat at about 100%. All humanity. Every death, whether from war, from disease, murder, miscarriage, tragic accidents, or even what we might call natural death, it all points us to the reality of inherited sin. Now, as Paul goes on, remember I was talking about that bracketed section, he makes this point clearer in verses 13 and 14. You see, Paul, he highlights the fact that sin, it's not just transgressing the law of Moses, right? the law that God gave to his people to live by, And the reason we know this is because the effects of sin, namely death, still ran rampant before that point in history. So Paul talks about this this time period in between Adam and Moses, and maybe his wording's a bit confusing, but what he's saying is that, that death reigns supreme, 
which means it wasn't coming on board just because you broke Moses' law because death happened before that was even given to us. Death reigned, which meant that sin was absolutely in the world. Where there's death, there is sin, and vice versa. You see, Adam says that sin, it really is just a part of who you are. You're born into this. Uh, King David uh, is perhaps the best example of this. In Psalm 51, verse 5, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth. Right, Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You can't get much earlier than that. He's saying that there's no age of innocence. There's no amount of good deeds we can do to kind of take off this problem of sin that we've inherited. Because the reality is it's just there and always has been because of Adam. Now, if you're still struggling to understand uh, this one, uh, it's helpful to see how the Bible frames this first man, Adam. Uh, Because you see, in Genesis, his name, uh, in the original language, if you were to read Genesis in Hebrew, his name just translates as man or human being. Right? We, we see Adam as a name. It's really just a, a description of who he is. So for the original readers, his name really is just a placeholder for humanity. And so what I mean is, if, if you were to reread Genesis 1 to 3, for example, right, let's swap out the name Adam for the word man for every time it appeared, you'd get a pretty good sense of what the original readers were hearing as these stories were read to them. He's literally human, the human a representative of all humanity. Now, if you still think it's unfair that Adam's sin affects you, which I think in Australia this this is a bit of a roadblocker to us, we're so individualistic, we, we like to kind of bounce off our own achievements. If you still think this is unfair... If you think, for example, that, that you would have done a better job, perhaps, than Adam, you know, if you were placed in that garden, some of you might think, well, look, it's, it's not my fault. Why, why are his actions the ones that impact me? I didn't do it. My warning to you is don't flatter yourself. Because you and me, uh, I guarantee, would have all sinned just as quickly in that garden, if not even quicker than Adam did. In fact, I think if you were to think that you could have done a better job than Adam, if you would have been a a better first representative on behalf of all of us, then what you're really saying at the core of it is that God's choice of Adam was wrong. And that's a very, very dangerous place to tread. In fact, I think the sooner you grasp that Adam is our best representative... Right? He had the best shot at getting this all done, at kind of living the perfect life, and yet still fell. Given every chance to succeed and yet still managed to fumble the ball, the sooner you'll realize that the rest of us, even the very best of us, the most saintly of us, had absolutely no chance at all. Now, one of the implications of this Uh, which I think is helpful for us to think about, is that this is a good reminder for us to be patient with the people around us, to be patient with those that we are seeking to evangelize and bring the gospel to. Right? You might see people around you sinning, uh, even sinning egregiously, keeping God at, at arm's length. Well, understanding the effects of Adam's sin, it reminds us that 
these guys, all they're doing is just living out the effects of that original sin in their lives. And I think when we understand this, it helps us to have a bit more patience, a bit more compassion, a bit more love when dealing with those who are stuck under the pattern of Adam's sin. But there's one more better piece of news, and that's that God doesn't leave us in this predicament. No, God sends us a new representative, uh, a new representative who acts on behalf, as I said earlier, of, of a new race, a race of believers. A new representative who can get us out of this endless cycle of sin and death and sin and death which humanity has been stuck in since the dawn of time. But it can do so much more than that. Adam's sin has put us all in a predicament, but Jesus' actions can undo it. Or if you've got a pen in your outlines, add the word more in there. Jesus' actions can more than undo it, because that's the key idea. So far, uh, in today's passage, there's been a lot of comparison between Adam and Jesus. Uh, Adam's even, or Jesus is even called a, a type of Adam. There has been a lot of comparison, a lot of similarities drawn about how they both represent a group of people. But by the time we reach verse 15, Paul begins unpacking how they actually differ from one another quite significantly. Uh, Paul writes in verse 15, he says, The gift is not like the trespass. There is something different about the gift to the trespass. In verse 16, again, he says, Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. So there is a sense in which they are different. And while they're similar as one man represents many, as far as their effectiveness goes, Paul is saying there's no contest here. If you look with me again at verse 16, Paul says, The judgment followed, count them, one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Paul's saying you've got the one sin here, but then you have many, many sins, and the gift is enough to cover them. And this is what uh, one theologian called the miracle of miracles, because Christ, he more than cancels the effects of Adam's sin. And not just Adam's sin in our lives, but even the many sins that we commit on a daily basis following in that pattern. Um, I don't know if you've, you've seen the, the television ad where someone comes back to their car parked in a parking lot and it's been smashed up, presumably hit by another car, and then somehow on their, their wrist they've got the Control-Z buttons, which is just the, the computer shortcut for undo. And through the movie magic, they push these buttons and the smashed windows come back together and the tyres reinflate and all the dents come out and suddenly their car is back to the way it was before. didn't just push the undo button time and time again and undo it back to this fresh state. Rather, he fixed your rubbish little Honda Civic and turned it into a Porsche. That's the effect. The gift is so much greater that it does more than undo the effects of the penalty of sin. It credits us with so much more. Verse 16, the gift followed many trespasses. Verse 15, grace overflows to many. All these big words to use that show how much bigger this is. 
Uh, There is no sin large enough to hold back God's grace in Jesus. It overflows. It covers a multitude of trespasses. Verse 18, we're not just made right with God. Jesus' one righteous act, it actually brings justification and life. I think that the best summary of how the gift far outweighs the trespass is in Paul's own executive summary in this passage, which is found in verse 20. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You don't just get the Honda back, you get a Porsche. Now, if this is the case... If the gift far outweighs the trespass, if grace is overflowing, covering a multitude of sins, the question is, what is holding you back in having Jesus as your representative? I want to ask you, because it's a very important question, is Jesus your representative? You see, the passage today, it really only gives us two ways to live. You either follow in the footsteps of your first representative, Adam. You try your hardest to please God. Or you simply accept the free gift of righteousness only found in Jesus. In fact, if you were to skim today's passage just to really drive this point home, count the number of times you see the word gift and its sister word grace. Because if you do that, you'd see they show up time and time and time again in this passage. Uh, In fact, ten times in the space of nine verses. Gift and grace. And this is because Paul, well, he really wants to drive home the point. He wants to drive home the reality that the gift is absolutely and utterly just that. It's a gift. It's free. We don't earn it. We don't do anything to kind of get God's favor for him to bestow it upon us. It's free through faith in Jesus. And once we get this, if you think even a smidgen of your own works will add to this or get you across the line, then you've completely missed the point. Because Jesus needs to be your representative in full. His record has to be yours entirely in order to be saved. No questions No ifs, no buts. You're either safely nestled in the free gift of grace or you're left entirely defending yourself before the judgment throne. You see, the hard reality of a passage like this is that it confronts us because it shows us that there really are only two people that have ever lived, two ways to live. You've got Adam on the one hand and you've got Jesus These two figures sum up all of human history, and all of human history hinges off these two people. Every single one of us here in this room will be represented by one or the other when God comes in judgment. And so the question is, who is representing you? Let's finish in prayer. Father, we thank you that that no sin of ours is large enough to smother your grace in our lives. 
Lord, we thank you that through Jesus we've been made right with you and have been gifted eternal life through Jesus Christ. Father, help us never to take this gift for granted, but rather help us to wake up each day and take on life's challenges in the complete thankfulness that Jesus is our representative before the judge. Lord, we thank you for Jesus whose sacrificial love and whose perfect obedience makes all of these things possible. Help us to cling to this this week. And this we pray in his name. Amen.